Hi, I'm Ed Schnitzer of Wombold Bond Dickinson. Hello, this is Connor Bifrato of the Bifrato Law Firm. We are the co-chairs of ABI's Mediation Committee, and we'd like to welcome you to the committee's new podcast, Reframing Mediation. On this and future episodes, we'll be tackling cases or bankruptcy mediation trends that we found interesting or that you should be aware of in your practice. So let's jump right in. Today, we're going to talk about confidentiality. Confidentiality is always a riveting topic. Why don't I remind both of us of of some of the operable rules? I took a look at the Delaware rule and the New York rule because, you know, both of us have a lot of mediations there. You know, I see in Delaware, there's local rule 9019-5, great title, confidentiality of mediation proceedings, you know. As expected, it says exactly that. It says confidentiality is necessary to the mediation process and mediation shall be confidential under these rules and to the fullest extent permissible under otherwise applicable law. It also talks about rule 408, some of our, you know, one of our favorite rules that, you know, basically settlement discussions are protected. Lastly, it has a section 9019-5-E, which I thought was relevant to what we're going to talk about. And that section's titled Recommendations by Mediator where it says a mediator is not required to prepare written comments or recommendations to the parties, but a mediator can provide a written settlement settlement recommendation or memorandum to attorneys or pro se litigants, but not to the court. Um, I took a look, like I said, at Southern District of New York, and it's got something similar. It's got rule 3.3, which is recommendations to the mediator, says the same thing. A mediator doesn't have to, but they can if they want. And it ends by saying, any such rec- recommendation shall not be filed with the court. And then 5.1 is the New York rule on confidentiality as to the court and third parties. And again, as expected, it said any statements by the mediator, by the parties, or by others during the mediation process shall not be divulged by any of the participants in the mediation or their agents or by the mediator to the court or to any third party. It also talks about you know documents as well. So, you know, with that background, you know, Connor, uh, you know, you do a lot of mediation. How do you handle confidentiality in a mediation? Well, you know, I, I think all those rules that you referenced, specifically directing parties not to make disclosures to the court are because at the parties and sometimes the mediator's inclination is, boy, I want to tell the court what's going on. And that's really just in opposite to the whole mediation process. Parties need to, to feel assured that their discussions are going to remain confidential, um, and particularly from the court, because you don't want the court to believe that you're being obstinate because you're protecting your client's interest, and uh, nor do you want the court to believe that you're, you're being overly aggressive. So... Um, I, I typically handle it by starting off with a discussion of the importance of confidentiality. And, and with regard to the uh, reference, rather than recreating in every mediation circumstance, in every case, um, a, a confidentiality provision essentially by having to redraft it for a mediation agreement, I, I simply send a letter to the parties and reference the court rule, and, and, and you've identified local rule 9019-5, which is in a lot of those letters, um, and reiterate that the parties are bound by the confidentiality provisions set forth therein. Because 
you know, the parties can always find something to fight about in an agreement, but if you got a rule, the court's going to interpret the rule the way that the court believes it should be held. Yes, the nice thing with the rule also is they can't ask you to redraft it as opposed to your agreement, which they could they could give you comments, right? It, exactly. It's it, it, it saves hours. And it sounds like from what you said, I I, I, I I got the impression there are two benefits to confidentiality. One, perhaps it allows more frank conversations. And then two, perhaps lowers maybe strategy games or or some type of puffery. Is that is was that a fair impression of what you, you know, how, how it helps? Right, exactly. I mean, in mediation, you want to try to encourage the parties to um, be as open as possible and, and to truly understand that if for some reason you don't reach a resolution, everything that you talk about in the form of settlement discussions goes away as if it never happened. And it can't be used it can't be repeated it can't be shown to the court as evidence of how unreasonable the other party was at mediation and why they should be found to have participated in bad faith which is a whole nother topic for another day yeah and i suppose thinking this out right now if, if parties settle i suppose the final offer that was accepted that may become public but if they don't settle the final offers that either party makes probably isn't. Is that is that kind of how it goes down? Right. Uh, it, exactly. You know, under Rule 9019, which is applicable in a lot of cases, um, the settlement may become public so that the, the parties can see court approval, necessary court approval. A lot of times parties try to have the court waive that in advance in their mediation order so that they can maintain the confidentiality of the mediation process. Because as you know, in in bankruptcy mediations where there may be a series of cases, the defense lawyers are always trying to look for some trend in settlements. Like, oh, you settled for 15% in 25 of these cases, and I'm not going to pay more than 15% on my, behalf of my client. And that's that's why confidentiality, again, can be so important. I couldn't agree more. Confidentiality is often key to a successful mediation. And that brings me to a case that I want to discuss with you. The case is Genesis Global Hold Co. and the bankruptcy is in the Southern District of New York. What I found notable was a recent mediation order in that case, which contained, which I consider to be a very unusual provision. That provision stated, unless otherwise agreed among the mediation parties, within three business days of termination of the mediation, the debtor shall publish, publicly disclose the terms of the last offers extended by each of the mediation parties, respectively. Wow, that's really unusual. I, I don't think I've ever heard of anything that um, different with respect to confidentiality before of you. I have not, and I've definitely never seen a debtor I'm not sure I've seen a debtor, a trustee, a committee, and anybody publicly disclose publicly disclose a last offer, unless, of course, as you said before, it was an actual agreed upon offer, and then you're talking about you know the 9019 or some type of status report, but not not you know multiple offers, which this comprises, and this compri this 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 
implies or applies whether there's actually a settlement, you know, or not. So these these are possibly offers that weren't accepted by all parties. What is that? Do you know? Was that an order that was drafted and submitted as part of a motion, or did the court draft that order? So it, it, it was interesting. I looked into the background after seeing this, trying to figure out if that could, you know, give me a better understanding of what went down here. And here's what I know. Here's what I here's what I learned. So it was the product of a motion. The debtors made a motion asking the court to appoint a mediator and to set forth a mediation process. Um, the original order did not have that language I read to you. There was some, you know, back and forth. There were at least, according to what I could see, at least two status conferences. And then a proposed revised order was filed and it was identified as consensual. So presumably, you know, everybody agreed to it. But, you know, let me give you some more facts here because I think it will help for our discussion. So this was in the, as I mentioned, the Genesis Global Hold code bankruptcy. It's a recent case. It was filed in January 2023. As I said, it was in the southern. It is in the Southern District of New York. Um, what appears to be going on in the case are discussions and negotiations among the debtors, a certain ad hoc group of lenders, the debtor's parent, which is not a debtor, but the debtor's parents also the largest borrower, and the creditors committee concerning a possible reorganization plan. Um, in the motion seeking appointment of a mediator, the debtors explained that they negotiated a restructuring term sheet with certain parties that provided a framework for a plan, but certain issues were left open, including what the debtors called, quote, one of the most important issues in the case, which is the amount, form, and timing of the parent's contribution to the reorganization plan. Not, not necessarily that surprising there, as both you and I know that is often the biggest thing that lets a plan go forward, you know, getting the parent to you know put in some money here. So like I said, by the motion, the debtor sought the appointment of a mediator to hopefully help the parties negotiate a global settlement. So this was going to be you know a global mediation, not just you know a two-party mediation. Um, they filed that motion on April 24th. Then they had two status conferences and then they filed this consensual revised order appointing the mediator. Um, there were a bunch of changes in this revised order. So here are some of the notable ones. Um, in the original motion, they asked the bankruptcy judge to appoint a sitting Southern District of New York bankruptcy judge's mediator. Um, that was changed, and former bankruptcy judge Randall Newsom was assigned as the mediator. Wow. Um, the other thing that was added to the order is the parties were required to have two substantive mediation sessions within the week, as in within the week that the order was entered, which I also found kind of fascinating in terms of an agreement. And aggressiveness and actually in the order as opposed to the mediator kind of deciding when parties met. And there was, you know, the additional section that I mentioned, and I'll read it once more one more time just so we all remember it. Unless otherwise agreed among the mediation parties within three business days of termination of the mediation, the debtor shall publicly disclose the terms of the last offers extended by each of the mediation parties respectfully. Uh, sorry, respectively. Um, Judge Lane did enter that revised order shortly after the proposed consensual order was filed. Connor, what do you think? Wow. So well, there's, I guess, you know, there's a lot of things. Number one, I guess, it, just the, the, you know, Genesis Global Whole Co. 
suggest that this was should have been or was expected to be a prepack um, that they were going into bankruptcy with, and and it sounds like it went sideways. Um, I've still never seen a provision like that, and 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 look at the language that talks about unless otherwise agreed among the mediation parties. It doesn't talk about there having to be unanimity among the mediation parties and whether you know one or two of the parties agreed that the last settlement offer should be disclosed and and two of the other parties disagree what where do you end up there and uh and i will say i, I just mentioned i said wow when you mentioned judge randall newsom because uh, i remember when judge newsom was sitting in oakland and he uh came to Delaware by designation in the early 2000s. And uh, actually, I think I still have some PTSD from some of his hearings. But I'm sure that he was made a very good mediator uh, for those reasons as well. Um, and I guess that does give the, the, the mediator a lot of leverage to try to get the parties to agree on, if not a resolution at least the the way that the last offers are going to be described right that that might lead to more outside pressure if it's disclosed publicly what do you what do you think no i i i, I exactly i think all those issues you raise are inter- are interesting the unanimity is interesting because it looks like under this motion there are six mediation parties so you know Assuming this mediation is terminated without a settlement, that presumably means all six didn't agree. So then it begs the question, are all six going to agree on something you know, else with regarding this disclosure? Like what if one party says, I don't want you to disclosing my settlement offer? I don't think that's what this means. I think the implication of, is unless all six agree, all the last offers go out. But it's definitely, it's, it's, it's definitely you know, an interesting question. And, you know, as to kind of the strategy question, you know, you know I, w- I wonder what it will do to people's, you know, offers that they're making. Would a party make a different offer if they, if they believe it's going to be made public as opposed to an offer if they believe it's not if not going to be public. And I think that could go, I guess, two directions. You maybe you make, maybe you won't throw out a lowball offer if you think it's going to be public, because from a PR perspective, perhaps you don't do so well under that. But I suppose the opposite is is true too. If you make too high of an offer, too, you know, generous of an offer and it's publicly disclosed, then maybe, you know, the world thinks that you've acknowledged some sort of either liability you know, if you're the one putting money in, or if you're the other side, you've acknowledged you, you, your case isn't as isn't as strong as you say it is. So, or you become a target down the road in other cases um, because you, you you know you gave in too much. And but you're exactly right because you know that the lawyers are going to be having that added dynamic of discussion in the breakout sessions that they wouldn't otherwise be having with their clients. What does this mean if it goes out publicly? What's that going to, how's that going to affect your business? How's that going to affect your relationship with other clients? 
how's that going to affect the court's perspective? And, you know, you're in five other cases before this judge and, you know, you, you don't want the judge to have a bad impression. And so many factors that could go out there. And, and again, that language, just going back to, uh, unless otherwise agreed among the mediation parties, and I mean, to use a term of art, that's kind of squishy language, right? I, I mean, among the mediation parties really suggests, you know, two or three could be an agreement among the mediation parties. And so that does that mean that if two parties, a third of the participants agree that the last offer shouldn't be disclosed, that the other parties are then barred from disclosure? Because at some point, somebody's going to become the target and they're going to be the one that the other parties want to pressure into bridging that gap. No, exactly. All, all true. I agree. Um, you know, the other thing that I thought was interesting is it says, you know, it's mandatory. The language is shall, you know, putting aside the unless otherwise agreed to. This isn't right. something debtors can choose to not do. And on one hand, I say, I suppose that's good because then the debtor is just going to comply with the order. On the other hand, like I said, it's interesting because, you know, it's mandatory. This is not a, well, maybe, you know, feel like it. So I thought that part was, you know, kind of interesting. Right. Right. The debtors don't have a choice if they disagree. And, and among the other parties, there's, you know, commonality of, of their views and the debtor doesn't agree. They shall disclose it apparently. So again, I, somebody decided to use that language for a reason agreed among the mediation parties because you know that that you know how lawyers are in these drafting particularly when it comes to the beginning of a case like this and you have sort of the a team for all the parties together they're looking at every word and and the meaning of every word so that's that was compromised language with without a doubt no, no, yeah, no doubt. And I guess maybe it's almost like the default is that it should be publicly disclosed. And you can only get off that if the parties agree. And maybe the situation is the parties could maybe reach that agreement if they're so close. But if there's a public disclosure, you know, it could blow things up. You know, I think as you as I know, sometimes in a settlement, you're close and you want to be careful not to have one side really antagonize the other side by doing something. So, you know, maybe you'll 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 give guidance. Uh, you know, I feel like you've done this to me, Connor. You've given me guidance to maybe you don't want to do that next thing you're thinking about because you know it could really anger the other side. So maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's the option here that the parties, if they're close, and if they think if you publicly disclose now, it could really doom the process. So why don't we you know keep it between us, like a normal mediation, right? They, they they preserve that option for obviously good reason as well, um, but but this is really an unusual order and and I you know whether it has the potential to become uh, popular in other instances or is it really unique to the factor factors of, of, of this case which are obviously unusual factors to say the least. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that's an interesting question. You know, I guess I, I guess this won't come before you because I can't imagine parties asking you, "Are you okay if we disclose the offers?" Because that's not really your call to make, right? Right. I would, would know. I mean, it, 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 in a case like this, if there was an order with this kind of language, and they came to me, I, what I would simply say is the the rules applicable to the case generally wouldn't permit me to talk about any aspect of the mediation outside of the mediation. So it would have to be up to the parties to decide how to proceed. Yeah. And I, and I, and I thought about saying you just said earlier that I, 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 I should have touched upon, you know, we talked about before kind of how a lawyer, you know, talks to their client and, you know, normally after perhaps if you're the mediator, you've given the speech, you know, everything is confidential. Everything that happens in mediation stays in mediation. That helps me as a lawyer tell my client, don't worry, any offer we make stays in mediation. Only if it's accepted is it, you know, published perhaps under a 9019, but anything else and anything you say, you can be completely frank and say what you want to say. That's my usual talk that I'll give to a client who's not familiar with mediation. If I have an order like this, I'm going to have to alter that talk, right? Oh, absolutely, and and that's that's a good discussion to have with your client uh, to open up a, a, a frank dialogue. Um, but this this language is going to have to you're going to have to say, "Wow, you, you your offers each each one of your offers is going to have to be really calculated to cover a lot of issues." Number one, is it is it a uh, a good faith offer? And number two, how's it going to be perceived? Because you run the risk that it's the it's the last offer that's in the in the in the go round, and and that it's going to be disclosed at any point. Yeah, and a good point. And, and you don't know that it's the last offer until there's not not another offer made. So every offer you make could be that last offer that the debtors have to disclose under an order like this. That's that's what I was thinking. It uh, you, it could it causes you to really think about every uh, every communication you have with the other side during mediation. It even occurs to me it's strange because it uses the language termination, um, and even when a matter a mediation results in a settlement, the mediation still is terminated. So I suppose you could have a situation where these six parties reach a settlement, but under the terms of this order, the last, I guess, six offers would be disclosed and presumably only one of them is actually the settlement, right? Is that is that how you think this would play out? Unless the lawyers agreed to parties within three business days. Like, my, I suppose it could. It says the debtor shall probably disclose the terms of the last offers. So I think that the parties would have to agree if they reached settlement that that their prior offers or even their offers that resulted in the settlement would not be disclosed otherwise the debtor is required to show what the breakdown of the settlement is and you know there's always factions in these situations you get six parties you're going to have either three factions of two or some variation thereof yeah, and I was just trying to think that in my mind when I reached a settlement with a party. Normally, someone made a last offer, 
and that offer was accepted by the other side and that's your deal. So if I made the last offer that the other side accepted, well, I'm fine with my last offer being public because that's the settlement and that's going to be in the 9019 anyway. But the party who accepted my offer, presumably they made an offer before, which was, you know, not, not, not the same as the one accepted. So there's definitely a different one unless you view a settlement as both parties effectively making the same offer. And that's why it's a settlement. It's almost like a question of what's the interpretation of an offer. Well, that's true too. That's yet another subject for discussion. But uh, you're right because there's it's never the case that a a party makes a proposal for settlement at mediation, and the other party just says, "Well, yeah, that sounds like a good number. I'll do that." It's always well if if they'll take that, then they'll take. 10% 10% or 20% less. So you you may have that situation where the debtor said that they would accept $50 million in this instance. And, you know, the, the committee wanted $65 million. And the settlement is something like, uh, you know, $60 million. It, 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 who gave more is going to show up in that situation, right? Exactly. And and I think the other thing, it makes me occur, you know, a lot of mediations you see, and, I, and I'm sure you've seen this before. I know you've seen this in mediations with me. A lot of times the mediator is involved in the process by, let's use your example of 50 and 65. The mediator perhaps goes to both parties and says, hey, they're at 50, you're at 65. What do you think about a settlement in the middle? We'll go with the exact middle of 57 and a half. You know, this isn't an offer from one side to the other, but if both the both sides are on board, then we can get this done. So let me know if you're good. I won't tell the other side unless they're good with it. And then we have a deal. If either says either side says no, no. Like you've you've had that happen before, right? Sure. And mediator's proposal when the parties are close. But they just can't bridge that gap. One party's not going below sixty-five, the other party's not going above fifty, and the mediator says, "There's no way after spending past day and a half here, you guys should leave the table without a resolution." What if what if I made a proposal so it's neither side that's putting it out there, and and both sides agree that if that proposal is acceptable, they have a settlement. But if one side agrees and the other side doesn't, the side that doesn't agree doesn't know whether the other side agreed or not. And that way that side's protected from the circumstance of, well, I set a floor or a ceiling because I they know now that I'll go this number or I won't go to this number. And in this situation, that's sort of out the window because it's, it's the offers and demands are going to be disclosed anyway. No, exactly. And, you know, I think to to well to to perhaps end this podcast on a positive note from a mediator perspective, you know, the language that I thought was, you know, helpful to a mediator in the, in this provision is first of all, it's the debtors that have to make the disclosure, not the mediator. So you're not whoever the mediator is, you know, in this case, you know, former Judge Newsom, he or any other mediator, they're not actually having to do this, which I, I would imagine no mediator wants to have to do that. That's almost like the, you know, opposite of what they want to be doing. And then, 
know, with regard to the mediator proposal you talked about, you know, the language here says shall, you know, publicly disclose the terms of the last offers extended by each of the mediation parties. Fortunately, I don't believe the mediator is a mediation party. So it wouldn't be something, you know, that you would have to, that your mediator proposal would have to be disclosed. So, you know, from a mediator's perspective, I think that's, you know, that's positive. Great discussion. Particularly appreciate the insight from my good friend, Connor. We would be remiss if we didn't give a shout out to Don Swanson, whose mediation blog gave us the idea for this particular podcast. Thank you, Don. Can't wait to reconnect to spotlight more issues on our Reframing Mediation podcast. And thanks to our audience for listening. This podcast series and an archive of nearly 300 other ABI podcasts can be found in the newsroom at ABI.org. Until next time, everyone have a great day.